Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, everybody? January 19th edition of the Fightful MMA Podcast. Yours truly, Joe Ferraro, a.k.a. Showdown Joe. You can definitely find me online via social media at Showdown Joe. You can find my co-host, Sean Rossap, online as well at Sean Rossap. Sean, you and Matt Riddle, what, what, what just happened there? A great show. I just told you off the air, that guy's going to be a millionaire. I wonder why. He's going to be a millionaire. He's brilliant. He gets it. Like a lot of people have this this stigma, this weird thing. Like he's a pothead. He's dumb. He doesn't get it. He He's not disciplined. Man, that guy. Just it, it, I encourage people to look at his physical transformation over the past year, how he is a former 170-pound fighter who is now a ripped 210. Um He's picked the wrestling business up quicker than anybody but Kurt Angle, who was going into the Hall of Fame. So, well, when you say two ten, aren't people's eyebrows going to raise? No, he was he was he cut a lot of weight before, and then his last fight was at two eighty or one eighty five anyway. So, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a former veteran of the Ultimate Fighter, and I remember that uh, that that smirk that he always had on the show. Uh, people either loved that smirk or they hated it. I, I personally loved it. Uh, and I used to talk to people all the time. Oh, that that Matt Riddle guy is such a douche. And I'm like, who's not? He's actually funny, right? Oh, that smirk drives me nuts. What is he, the Joker? And I'm like, okay, like just settle down, just relax. Everything is fine. Um, you know, we're talking about the Ultimate Fighter Redemption coming out April 19th. You're one of the first few people to discuss it live. That the leaked cast. Have you heard anything else as to who was going to be on the show? Because I know we posted some stuff on FightfulMMA.com. Uh, have you heard anything else regarding the show? Let me pull up this cast uh, real quick. But, I mean, you know, of course you, I heard the Jeannie Browning thing, and I was like, well, that's at the ratings ploy. And, hey, it should be. What's the harm in having one guy that does that? One guy to reach out and grab your name. And, you know, a couple of the uh, the, the, the current UFC roster members like Krause and Pearson and – or not Pearson, uh, Cummings. Of course, Gerald Harris. I've heard names like Eddie Ellis, uh, Mike Ricci, Justin Edwards. Jesse Taylor. Uh, Jesse Taylor. And he's a guy who pissed away his UFC opportunity. Yeah. Like, yeah. he had an opportunity. He pissed it away by doing some dumb stuff. Uh, Gilbert Smith, Dominic Waters, Cajun Johnson. The Cajun Johnson one is interesting to me because I don't know that he ever really lost his way out of the UFC. But I would be – I'm kind of surprised that after how, how – I don't know if you've seen how much he criticizes the UFC. When CM Punk was doing one of those Q&As that they do on stage and the UFC for some reason never screens people for how intoxicated they are before the show, Cajun Johnson was the only one that seemed like really sober. And he was pissy with CM Punk. He was like, I got hurt in the UFC and you're getting a shot that belonged to me. And Punk was like, who are you? It was Cajun Johnson who had won his last two fights. But the thing is, nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew who the dude was. He had only fought in like, he fought in Canada, the Philippines, Japan. He had only fought these Asian fighters who probably didn't belong in the UFC anyway. People just didn't know who he was, but now he's getting a shot on the Ultimate Fighter uh, again. He was in uh, Tough Nations on and Team that, Canada. There was the, so if you look, so I don't, I don't mean to cut you off real quick, but his stint on the Ultimate Fighter Nations uh, was unbelievable. It was fantastic. It made him a pretty good name for anyone that actually watched the show here uh, in Canada. That that show did not get very good ratings, and and I, I you know. 
I'll say it now because uh, they're no longer around, but I blame UFC Canada for that one. It was just yeah. a debacle with how they promoted that. We did it. We did our best at Sportsnet, but they whoop, handcuffed. Handcuff me, handcuff Sportsnet at the time. So uh, hopefully that thing, it'll change if they ever do it again. But his stint on The Ultimate Fighter was an extremely heart-wrenching, emotional. Because you know when they get that close-up camera, uh, the angle with the light and stuff like that, and then the guy's telling their story and how it feels and what how he grew up or how, how she grew up, whatever it is. His was really, really emotional. And it, it, it kind of froze you as a viewer. So it did give him a little bit of a boost. But other than that, like you said, you know, it, his, his name value did, wasn't making much noise afterwards. What this says to me is maybe they're taking a little more of a WWE approach. WWE's approach has always been like, there is never a bridge that is burned too badly. Now, they never brought back Randy Savage and, and stuff like that, but they brought back a lot of guys that they had had issues with. Like Sable, Brock Lesnar's wife, sued them. They brought her back. Cajun Johnson was at their Q&A trashing the UFC. Jesse Taylor, as I mentioned, Joe, pissed his way out of the UFC. Gerald Harris, for whatever reason that we've talked about on multiple occasions, was not brought back. That There's some reason they didn't bring him back. Uh, Junie Browning, PR nightmare. But they seem to be willing to do whatever it is that they can do to uh, to make this season work. I'll give them credit for that because unless there's a title shot on the line, a title on the line, or we're seeing familiar names, I don't want to watch The Ultimate Fighter. Hey, you know what? I take that back. If there's a heavyweight season, I'll watch that because you never know who could break out as a heavyweight. Um, <laughs> you remember watching those heavyweight fights on Tough Ten? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the Westerners, the, yeah. like half of them were football players. And – out of that, you got some okay guys. You got a Brendan Schaub. Yeah, you got Schaub. Obviously, Roy Nelson was on the show. Kibble yeah. Smith was on the show and stuff people, like that. So, yeah. People knew about Roy Nelson. Um, who John Madsen was pretty good, I thought. Yeah. Um, Justin Wren is still good. He took several years off. You just never know who will emerge from that season. <laughs> then you'll have like fan favorites like Marcus Jones and Titty Schnoover. Remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcus Jones was, was special. How the hell did he make it to the third round? Yeah, that's yeah, you're right. Absolutely correct. I mean, but there's a lot of psychology that goes into selecting um, the very few people that actually make it onto the show because I know a lot of guys that have applied to be on the show uh, that deserved wholeheartedly to be on the show, but the producers are looking for something completely different. And, you know, there were two guys here, friends of Sean Pearson, to be honest with you. Um, one of them was, you know, we could simply say was – I won't go as far as saying he's a criminal, <laughs> but his, <laughs> his good friend, let's just say, is a high-ranking police officer. So you would have had an interesting sort of leakage of a story that could have came out of there, especially on the actual show. Uh, I don't know if Pearson last night basically said that I think he wanted to be on the show but didn't get selected, but he would not, in my opinion, would not have been a good guy uh, to be on that show because I mean, he he admitted it. If if Junie Browning did what you know what he did to, to like if anyone threw a bottle at Pearson or whatever, Pearson's not that guy. Cameras or not, his 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 ego and his um, integrity, his whatever comes first to whatever the UFC wants. He'll throw a bottle back well, at somebody. I've seen the selection process play out firsthand. One of my 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 first coaches, Sean Asher. Now his wins questionable competition. I'll say that. I'll admit as much. Um, he's a bit of a hometown star out here. He had tried out for the ultimate fighter about three years ago. Um, what season was it? Uh, either way, he was like 34 at the time. It was uh, ultimate fighter season 19. He didn't get selected, but the guy that he had just beaten a few months before that did. And he got picked. It was Doug, Doug Sparks, the one who wore those weird ears yep. into the house. And that was the reason he got picked because he wore some funny ears and then Doug Sparks got his ass kicked in like three and a half minutes. So I've seen that type of thing play out. And later, uh, your boy, Misha Serkinov, would go on to beat him, uh, beat uh, Sean Asher, basically for a spot in the UFC. So to hell with both of you guys. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know if you, if you heard uh, the, the uh, podcast with Lies Theodora, whenever he trains with 
uh, Misha, uh, it's a bit of a challenge. I mean, Misha, Misha to, to a lot of us, um, is extremely talented in our parts over here. He's, he's extremely talented. He's just a great fighter. Um, but we, it's almost like we don't really see him too much as a fighter, as a mixed yeah. martial artist. We see him as our, as our boy. Like we, you know, we walk down, like some of the higher end, uh, establishments, clubs, um, uh, sort of those like like high end restaurants that turn into clubs at night. Uh, he owned by a lot of the same people. He was the head security guy, and we always knew him as this guy in a suit that just looked like if stuff was going to go down, he just looked at Misha, and it was over. <laughs> it was that's what we know him as, and we always knew he trained. He trained at Extreme Couture here uh, and a bunch of other different gyms and stuff like that. But this is a guy that we now see him in the UFC. We're just kind of like. We always knew he was our boy. We always knew he was tough, but damn, look at what he's doing now. Wow. Like, danger. Yeah. Like, man, he's he's uh, really excelled, too. I was so happy that he beat Krylov. <laughs> You're not letting that go, eh? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I was so happy. What do you think's going I'll ask you this straight off the bat. It's Ortiz Sonnen thing. What do you think is going to happen? Well, that was going to be – I was going to eventually transition to that. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about it now. I'm ready to, I to don't... approach this situation aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to talk about it from a mixed martial arts standpoint, I, I, I do believe uh, – I should say I do believe. If I'm going to give an edge to someone, I'm going to give it to Chael Sonnen. Uh, I just don't think Ortiz is going to go more than six minutes or, five, or one round without just doing this and – who knows what's going to happen, but yeah. love to watch it. We'll see what's going to happen. I don't know what my weekend's going to be like, but uh, you know, I'll be paying close attention. Let's just say that. But uh, the floor is yours, young man. Say what you need to say. Well, I mean, Sun is 39. I mean, Tito's old too. He hasn't fought in three and a half years. He seems – or three years. He seems really pissy. Like he's been pissy in his interviews this week. Maybe it's because he's been too impressed for The Apprentice or whatever. But – uh He's not happy. and You're saying Chael's not happy, not Tito. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, Tito's never happy. Uh, <laughs> Tito did pretty well against Liam McGeary in their fight, I thought. Like, a lot better than I thought he would do. But I think Liam McGeary, maybe not as dominant as we thought he was in, in general, not just, just against Tito. This is the type of fight to get people to tune into, though. Hats off to... to uh, Bellator for doing that. And not only that, I want to say this. Hats off to them for putting Daly versus Ward, uh, Halleck Gracie, uh, Karakanyan versus Sanchez. That's a damn good fight right there. Uh, Derek Campos, uh, Kevin Casey, a guy they just signed on there. I think I think they're hoping that uh, some of these prelim fights end pretty quickly, like uh, Demi Lovato's. Boyfriend, what's his name? <laughs> Lascon Silos, I can't pronounce his name. Yeah, you better believe if they can get a one-minute fight of Demi Lovato's boyfriend on the air when Chael Sonnen, right before Tito Chael, they're going to do that. Oh, for if sure. Can, yeah, if they can, get footage, they can get footage of him giving Demi Lovato a kiss outside the cage, oh, you better believe Scott Coker is going to be – Yes, excellent. One <laughs> of those. But you know what? Good on them for putting some of these fighters uh, below, obviously, Tito and, and Chael, and getting them the exposure because if you want to start promoting some guys and, and your, your main event is that heavy, this is what it's all about. It's not like Scott Coker. Uh, it's not his first rodeo, so he knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, and I completely agree regarding the uh, Lovato situation. You want to have a camera on her uh, quite frequently. Well, I should say quite frequently. Put that uh, put that Sean Pearson wiener cam right on her, <laughs> facing straight up at her face to get her reaction when he wins. That's a good point. Yeah, Sean and the camera, and that we all, we had technical difficulties again last night until we figured out uh, what the issue was. But uh, good on Sean for getting most of it fixed. Although the camera angle was uh, still subject still subject to uh, Jimmy Van and Sean Rossap uh, to make comments to, but is what it is. I, I listen when you break down this Ortiz versus Son and fight. I mean, anyone that's expecting this to be these these three these two guys from you know five to seven years ago isn't going to happen. Okay, it's it's you know it, I just want to see what Chael's going to look like. I think I know what Tito's going to look like in terms of what he brings uh, to the cage. It's just that you know, Chael hasn't fought in so long and he's been doing so many other things. Uh, looks good, 
But I've seen, you know, guys and girls look good during their workouts and then they get into the cage or the ring and it's like, oh boy, that is not pretty at all. Uh, if anything, I think, I think Chael will get a stoppage here. Um, it's for, it's, it is five rounds. Am I correct? I think it's three. It's three. Oh, that, that changes the game a little bit. I still they, think they'll do the five round main events there. Yeah, I think Chael does emerge victorious regardless. I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, how does he win or who wins and how do they win? Yeah, I think it's going to be Chael, but it's it's just so hard for me to say after three years of him not being in the cage. And we don't know how aggressively he's training. And this is a 205-pound fight, so oh, there are so many X factors. It's it's that unknown. You don't know how Chael Sonnen's going to react. Uh, <laughs> I think he can get a takedown on Tito Ortiz. Tito's going to be bigger. Do you remember how much bigger he was than Alexander Shlomenko? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was huge in comparison, and Chael's a bigger 185-er, and Shlomenko, I feel like he's maybe a smaller version, a smaller 185-er, but uh, I think Chael's getting the takedown. I think he's going to grind him out. I think that Chael probably stays more active in training than Tito does, because I don't think Tito thought he was going to fight again until Chael signed with Bellator. That's a good point. That's a very good point. I think I think you know Tio did train, but not to the extent that he would be training consistently and regularly to be you know called up on short notice. He probably had, probably hasn't done that in years. I don't know if Chael's been training as much as we all think as well, right? Until he actually, uh, you know, there were there was conversations that he was going to be with Bellator, and then when was he going to fight? Right, because the guy's busy. The guy, the guy's always doing something. He's always got, you know, you know, one hand in one pocket, one hand in the other pocket. He's always got meetings. He's always doing this or that. So, Chael's a busy guy. He likes to stay in shape, but you know, he's also a dad and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it all depends. But I am intrigued. Uh, unlike uh, Mr. Pearson, uh, who <laughs> could care less about this fight, uh, I am intrigued. I'm looking forward to see and uh, how it goes down. If I get a chance to watch it live, I'm definitely going to watch it live. Um, one thing we heard, um, Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks is now moving up to 185 pounds. He's taken on Hector Lombard, uh, another guy who used to compete at 170. Uh, according to Pearson, he doesn't buy the fact that make 170 or 171 pounds. He thinks he can. He just thinks there's too much stress going on outside uh, and outside of training that prevents him from doing it and not being able to get his training in. Um, I, for guys like you and myself. Good. You're 185 pounds now. You really have no excuses. So let's see you do it now. He had a shitty nutritionist too. Let's be honest. The nutrition guy, he's had like three or three. He's had guys miss weight like three or four times. Like how? I want to say no disrespect to him, but Jesus, man. Like, and he's calling out. Like I, I saw that Ian Kidd, who was man, he knows his stuff when it comes to uh, weight cutting. He's writing a book on weight cutting. He had some interactions with uh, Lutrition's PR guy. It's like, who are you to be criticizing Lou? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm writing a book about it. <laughs> so a little bit. And they've had like this back and forth like with George Lockhart and stuff. Well, I don't – maybe I'm mistaken. I don't remember George Lockhart's guys or Mike Dolce's guys missing weight. Maybe I'm mistaken. But when you got three people and you got like Pettis eating steak and eggs the day before weigh-ins and he's missing weight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Call that out there. Um, I think Hendricks' utter lack of giving a shit has a lot to do with him not making 172. And hey, if you're going to fight at 185, Lombard's a good opponent to fight at 185. He's a smaller 185-er. Yep. Um, So I – this is the right fight for both of them because this is a fight that could have happened and probably should have happened at 170 pounds. It's happening at 185. If less of the weight cutting was happening to begin with, more of this stuff would happen. But I think this is a good fight for both of them. It's, it's a good opportunity. The UFC saying one of these guys has got to win unless it's a draw. That'd be funny. That's what happened with Fitch and Penn. They were like, one of these guys has to win, right? No, apparently not. Uh, so there you go. But uh, one of these guys will win the fight, and that's good for the UFC. That's good. They can they can continue the push for one of these guys, and one of them can appear in a co-main event. This is on the, the Halifax card, right? Or yeah, is it's it exactly different? one month away today. Shaping up to be a good show if they can get an opponent for uh, JDS. 
Yeah, that whole uh, Stefan Struve thing. Um, I knew a bit about uh, not an injury going into this fight, but a, a, a previous injury. Um, and when I saw the news that he was basically he had withdrawn from the fight, I'm like, I think I pretty much know what that injury is. Uh, it sucks, but um, this this Hendricks Lombard might actually be the main event because I don't think. Uh, oh yeah, I don't think. Give, I don't, that, give it to Elias. Yeah, they should. That way he gets that that 10% that's mandated by Halifax. We're like the main event. I think the main event uh, fighters are supposed to take in 10% of the revenue for that show. I think that's mandatory there. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Okay. Something like that. I I think I saw John Nash talking about that on Twitter. Give that to Elias. We may never see him on the podcast again because he'll be out spending all that money on like ring girl robes. But <laughs> he's such a gangster. Oh, that room was classic. Him and that hair and those shades. Um, listen, he. I, I liked what he was saying um, when we were talking in the podcast a couple of days ago about, look, GSP is not around anymore. He may not be coming back. He might be coming back. But someone's got to take that torch from George St. Pierre and be the man in Canada. That should be me, he said. I said, that's a fantastic idea. He's like, I don't want to fight in Buffalo. I want to fight in Halifax. I want to fight in Edmonton. I want to fight in Toronto. I want to fight anywhere and everywhere in Canada. I want to be Canada's guy. And he's got this new thing that he's doing right now because uh, two weeks ago, or, or sorry, last week when we were talking in the podcast, uh, he was in L.A. filming some stuff that he was making very clear could be a game changer. Uh, and he kept bringing up the name Ronda Rousey and what she's doing and how she did it. He's going to do the same and more. And I was like, okay, you want to share more? He's like, nope, 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 can't do it. Not yet, not, not yet. So there's a guy potentially that has the opportunity, um, you know, it's it, – he just has to catch some lightning in a bottle. That's how George did it. He's going to catch some lightning in a bottle because he's got the look. Elias definitely has the look for sure. I would love for them to develop a new big Canadian star because that market was on fire. And you know what? Putting George St. Pierre on a damn show there and then putting that person in the co-main event or the third from the top, that's the way to do it. But for some reason, for some reason – allegedly George St. Pierre ain't worth $10 million. That's a steal for GSP, especially if you can make more stars off the back. It's an investment in your company. It's an investment in that market, bringing GSP back. Because when you bring GSP back, you bring some lapsed fans back. When you bring some lapsed fans back, you familiarize them with Elias Theodoro. You familiarize them with uh, anybody else from Canada. You load that card full of them. And then when you go to Halifax, you go to Montreal, you go to Vancouver, you go to Frick, I don't, wherever you go, you've got somebody that can co-main event or main event that show. You put GSP in the Rogers Center with 60,000 people, then you go somewhere else. You, you've got a lot of eyes on that show. It's, I think eventually they'll get it. Eventually they'll need to get it, like, but... I don't know why. I just don't understand. It's it's an investment, and you know they're gonna. He's worth the ten million, in general. But I mean, when all this, I, I don't see why it's that difficult to understand for for this company. It, it's shocking to me. Well, look who George is represented by. Look who owns the UFC. That's a good point. Also, right. look who his sponsors are. Right. So, I mean, the, the whole Under Armour versus Reebok thing, um, you know, WMI and IMG and, and CAA, it's just – he Elias made it clear in that very first podcast. He goes, it's much more than just the fighters. It's this. It's the people at the top that are that are sort of looking over all of us, that are sort of feuding, that are causing all uh, potential issues here. So we'll see what happens. I wanted to get your thoughts, though, before I move on to something that, that, that some of the announcements made for the UFC Fight Night 107 card in London. Uh, PEDs in mixed martial arts. Prior to USADA, currently with what's happening with USADA and what's probably going to be the future uh, as changes are made, do you think PEDs were as bad as people were saying prior to USADA? Was it higher? Was it lower? Yes. Yeah, you think it was that bad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was insane. I think there's still some people that are trying to skirt around the issue. I don't know why they would at this point. But, yeah, it was real bad. It was real bad. I personally trained with fighters. Who uh, would, who I would go visit, and I'd, maybe I'd do a story, an interview, or something. And uh, you could tell, 
you could tell. Like, there's a difference. Like, I, I've seen like top skill levels. Then I've seen like, and in training, it affects somebody like me particularly because I'm not, I don't train full time. I don't experience that. But you can just tell, and people that had been popped or would later pop for PEDs, and you'd be like, "Well, that makes sense. That makes sense." Um, yeah, I think it was even worse. Like, and it does throw things into question when a guy like Brock Lesnar fails two drug tests, and you see how he looks. And there, I think in general he's a genetic freak. But I think as he got older, maybe he had a little bit of help. I look at the. Sorry, is, I think I think it is ridiculously prevalent. And now you see it. Hey, in baseball, you're a baseball fan. If it was that prevalent in baseball, imagine what it was like in this sport. Very unfortunate because I would look at. I would. I, it's actually Pearson, Pearson, and Faraz, and, and guys of that nature. I, we would get into debates, um, and I'd be like, "Dude's never been caught for anything." Right, and they're like, mm, really, is that much testing? I say, well, no, they do test, and then I have to do my own sort of research. Uh, and you know, God forbid you bring up the name Victor Conte, uh, but yeah. I would look, I would listen a lot. I mean, he he had a podcast one time where he just broke it down, and I was like, you know, I, I and, and Sean Faraz, myself, George, and a bunch of us were just shooting the breeze sort of thing. And I was like, well, you know what? You know who I would want to sort of oversee my home or kind of look at the security of my home? A guy that specializes in breaking and entering. Because then he would look at my home and be like, you know what? I know what you need to do with, for this window, this door, this area, blah, blah, blah. And people were like, oh, Victor Conte is a bad guy. And I'm like, uh, not necessarily. He's the guy that caused all the havoc. He might be the guy that can sort of help out and be like, yeah, look for this, that, this, that. And that's when I learned about you know, the carbon isotope uh, racial testing. Ratio. Yeah, and that changed my mind. And that's obviously when you started putting one and one together. This was way back when, but you start putting one and one together where it's like, wait a second, these guys are fighting on January 21st. They're being drug tested only on January 21st. Ding, ding, ding. Bust out the calendar, bust out the calculator. Guess what? Cycle off. You're not going to pee. You're not going to take blood from me. That's going to show you. Fail a drug test that you know is coming. You're a moron. But that was before we really realized. Wait a second! How can this guy possibly fail when he know fail when he knows or she knows that the testing is happening on this day here? And I, I use the cheesiest analogy all the time, Sean. If someone's going to test me for uh, caffeine or coffee, and I have to make sure that my levels are at a certain amount, well, give me the date, and I'll know that I'm going to pass that test because there'll be no caffeine in my system. You test me right now, ooh, I'm going to fail. Whatever the limit is, I'm going to fail. We talk about we talk about Matt Riddle, and this is a guy. Imagine if they fired a guy off of four straight wins for failing marijuana tests today. Imagine how people would react just a few years later. Yeah, you're right. People would be up in arms when <laughs> when we got guys that are doing PEDs now. Hey, Brock Lesnar is a really good example of that. Tested in college, the NCAA level. Tested in the WWE. We don't know to what degree. Yeah. Tested in the NFL. Tested in the UFC. He had never failed a test. And we could always have that to fall back on. He had never failed a test. Well, as it turns out, when you know they're coming and they're not that hard to pass. And I mean, this is, it makes you wonder with a lot. Anderson Silva. He was. You could look at him physically and say he's not on anything. Well, as it turns out, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but maybe he was. He was at least at one point. Ah, man, it's really unfortunate. And you hear there's there's that quote: "Everybody's on steroids. Everybody's on steroids." And then Conor McGregor fired back with, "The boy's not wrong. Everybody is on steroids, and they're not wrong because." I used to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Now I'm suspicious of everybody. Yes. That's what that, USADA that's has done. Exactly, exactly what I was trying to get at. You know, I used to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to give any names, but there were times, Sean, where I'm like, whatever this dude is eating, whatever he's drinking, whatever he's doing, I want in. I want to know what the secret is, and I won't mention any names. Horse me. <laughs> no, that's just that. No, it's guys completely that are- natural to go from 205 to 265 pounds. So natural. <laughs> I'm talking about guys more or less Brock, my size. Remember when Brock ran roughshod? It was him and Carwin, and all these heavyweights were like 
Fuck, guess I gotta be 270. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yes, yeah, Frank Mir. Uh, yeah. Man. Right? But I would, I would look at these guys, and I'd be sitting there in the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with the Sportsnet crew, and we're sitting there, we're watching the wins, and boom, this guy comes on, steps on the scale, and I'm like, holy smokes, like, what do I got to eat? What do I got to do? I know I got to tra- – I train. I train as much as I can, whether it's weights or jits or boxing or MMA. I'm doing the be- – like, holy smokes, man. Like, I want to do – and I would get a picture. i get people who would be – I won't mention names. Fighters, managers, blah, blah. Dude, they would send me pictures of different types of needles. Oh. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I'm just trying to be – I'm trying to give this guy a benefit of the doubt. And they're like, there's no benefit of the doubt, Joe. That's what you look like. Because you don't – and then they would show me pictures of other people and pictures of themselves on UFC scales and be like, this is what you look like when you don't take anything. That's what you look like when yeah. you do take something. Then you saw it came in, and then lo and behold, check, 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 check. Caught, 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 caught. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Then you got Mike Richmond, who basically says, yeah, I did it. I'm not going to deny it. Whatever. You caught me. I'm an yeah. idiot. Hey, at least he admitted it. I'll give him credit for that. Um, Another sensitive topic. that I didn't know if you were going to get to it, but I wanted to bring it up. Have you seen where Tyron Woodley is basically accusing the UFC of being racist? No. Where? Where? Like, in an interview, and I'm I'm just sitting there thinking, like, I'm sure there are racists, dumb racists in every bunch, but I'm like, this is a company that tried to force their way into an Asian market that didn't want them. They tried to force their way into Hispanic markets that didn't necessarily have the demand. Um, to call them racist is is a bit weird. Under what pretense, though? What did they well, let me do see. or say? Because that is that is very very. Uh, I'm not going to say he odd. Like to get with, he did an interview with ESPN. He said, "Coming into this fight, I felt like Wonder Boy was promoted as the champion. I'm the champion. I haven't seen that at all. I haven't seen Wonder Boy promoted as a champion at all. I've seen a guy who is went to a draw with the champion, and they gave him a rematch while while the champion was doing everything he could to not fight a real contender." He and Bisping even went to the trouble because both of them didn't want to fight a contender of fighting each other. Bisping was like, okay, I can fight a guy smaller than me. And Woodley's like, I can fight this really old guy. Like they, they both had like Power Ranger megazorded their divergence plans together to do this. And he would go on to say, some people say it's a racist sport. The second I bring up race, I'm immediately race baiting but I can point out clear facts that no other champion has been treated like me. What does he mean by that? Treated like he, said, he says, think about it. The second John Jones slipped on a banana peel, they can't wait to throw him underneath the bus. Oh, holy shit. No, no. <laughs> Unfortunately not, Tyron. That's, that's not the truth. He, slept on, he s- slipped on a whole stalk of banana peels. Man. I, I don't know where – I mean, you, you can look at John Jones and realize that John Jones is is the architect of his own demise. And I don't mean – you know, if, for every valley he fell in, he actually had uh, – you know, he created a sinkhole that created another one, and that sinkhole created another sinkhole. Well, John just kept falling and falling and falling. I mean, every time they would bring him back up, it was him. It wasn't like the UFC did anything. I mean, how many chances did they have to give him, right? They gave him – he cancels UFC 151. 
Uh, well, Dana says he's the reason why it was canceled. He wouldn't accept the fight with Chael Sonnen. That does that to UFC 200. Hi, I mean, the rumor of, of him hiding under a ring when he's getting drug tested. Like, okay, Tyron, I, I understand there might be some something else. Like, you got to come up with a bit more facts and a bit more proof if you want to accuse anybody of being racist in that manner. So... He would go on to call himself the worst treated champion in UFC history. I don't know that there have been a lot of UFC champions that were necessarily treated that badly. I mean, I, I think they take now may, they could take care of people better financially. I don't. I can't really in my mind. I'm not like okay. They treated this champion real badly. Now. Maybe you could say that about Sean Shirk. Maybe he was because of all the question marks surrounding his failed drug test. But knowing what we know now about steroids and PEDs in the UFC, who knows? Who knows what was true or what wasn't? But um, there were a lot of question marks, I remember, around that, and he was stripped no matter what. But he got his title shot right after that. Like, I think I don't the, see part, the UFC and champions, they don't necessarily treat them bad per se – Unless the champion starts getting lippy, right? And if it's a champion that, that's getting lippy or that does certain things or says certain things and isn't a big draw like other people, now you're going after the UFC. That's a fight that you don't want to get into because they're a massive PR machine. They could bury you, right? It's, it's, you're not the PR machine. You are part of the PR machine. Now, Conor McGregor, it's a different story. Okay, mm-hmm. Conor McGregor is the top of the food chain right now. He's going to say and do whatever he wants to do. But believe me, he keeps that up, and the UFC will do whatever possible that they can to bury him as well. But he says he's the worst. Hey, if worst-treated champion is being put on the biggest UFC show of all time with pay-per-view points and given a job in a suit on Fox, man... Well, that, that's Sign the whole point. He's just defeating his own argument. Like, I mean, unless he's he's showing up there and doing those Fox gigs uh, for fourteen dollars or fifteen dollars, don't do them. Yeah, right. Like, what, what, what exactly are you are you complaining about? I'm, I'm I'm not too sure because, and here's the deal: I've I've met Tehran on numerous occasions. I've interviewed him on numerous occasions. The guy is an actual. He's a gem. He's a really good guy. I mean, there's some people that in this industry. I mean, I could probably count on one hand that. I want to, you know, I'm not going to channel my inner Pearson or my inner Sean Ross Sapp uh, and say certain, you know, verbs or nouns, but not just, just they're not good people, bad people, and people may love them, but they don't know them the way we sort of know them outside uh, of their persona. Um, I, I just find it strange. Tehran's a good guy, but I want to know what exactly. I mean, why? Because it couldn't get the Nick Diaz fight because he's got to fight. Uh, Woodley, or he's got to fight Thompson again because uh, he says he dropped Thompson and Thompson didn't take the title away from him. I, I get that that you piss that could piss you off, but dude, it was there's unfinished business there. Make the money, sell it. Yeah, there's precedence for this in the past. A title match ends in a draw, you do a rematch. That they just there is precedence for that in the UFC. Um, I, I, I don't get it. And the thing is, he was doing everything he could to not fight a, a champion or a, a challenger. He wanted to fight uh, Nick Diaz, who hasn't won in five years. He wanted to fight Michael Bisping, who – why? For what? Well, he's for probably what? upset because he's looking for money fights now, and the UFC's not giving him money fights. Say that. Just say that. Yeah. Right? That's what it is. If you want a money fight, make it a money fight. Do it yourself. Do the work. Keep winning to the point to where people don't have a choice but to pay to watch you fight. That's how money fights happen. You become a larger-than-life personality or you become a larger-than-life fighter. I agree. I I'm, actually, uh, I'm actually trying to figure out – I know Nurmagomedov and um, uh, Tony Ferguson. Just give me one second. I'm just trying to take a look here at these two guys squaring off here. They finally got to square off uh, in oh. L.A. Obviously, it's the same card as – Woodley Thompson to March 4th on pay-per-view UFC 209, which I believe, you know, uh, the Diaz brothers should be on there. It is 209. Uh, Nurmagomedov is looking really good in a suit right now, and Dana White is basically separating them, Sean. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it's all. Yeah, whatever. They were separated. So they, those two finally got to square off. Uh, I'm really hell of a fight. Oh. Hell of a fight. 
according to Pearson, it is for the actual title. Uh, Conor McGregor technically isn't the champ, according to Pearson. This is the actual 155-pound yeah, title fight because he, he believes Nurmagomedov is the uncrowned champion. This fight here is going to be bananas. It's going to be stupid. It's going to be sick. Uh, and I can't wait for March to come around because this is the fight that I really wanted to see next to Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw, which you're probably not going to see until 2019 because of the ultimate fighter. So, You know what I hate is when people are like, oh, I hate that they had to make this fight because it's picking off a potential contender. So? <laughs> so? Isn't that what we're here for is to yes. watch the best fight the best? And Khabib passed up. You want to talk about people I, I respect. There's one thing about passing up fights. Khabib passed up a fight with Jose Aldo, which would have made him more money than this fight. Without a doubt. And the reason he did it, he said, I'm not stopping till I fight this guy. This guy who's been saying he wants to fight me, that I've been saying I want to fight, and that everybody else has been saying that they wanted to see. He said, because if I fight Jose Aldo, people will say, well, what about Tony? We're going to find out what about Tony on March 4th. I respect that a lot. Um, I don't respect what came out where it was like, well, his daddy says that he needs to take a rest. Well, I, that, isn't that the worst when the dads get involved? <laughs> yeah. here, here's a fun one. And it'll give you a little preview of my uh, show with Shane Helms tomorrow. Hurricane Shane Helms on Fightful.com. Register at Fightful.com for early access. We talk about backstage fights. And he got into a fight with Buff Bagwell. You remember him? Yes. After the skirmish, Buff Bagwell's mom called the office and complained about it. <laughs> Come on. How does that look? How does that look in a macho sport? Looks pretty shitty, doesn't it? Uh-huh. When, when you yeah. got people out there. Now, I don't care if your dad's your manager or not. Maybe it, it makes it a little bit better there. But when somebody's like, well, daddy says I need to rest. All you've got to say is, I'm holding out for Tony Ferguson. That's who I want. And to Tony Ferguson's credit, he said, I'm holding out till I get the money that Khabib gets. And that's what I was going to ask you next. I'm okay with that. Yes. I I used to to be on the side where it's like, no. You sign the contract. This is fight number three of five or four of seven. And this is what you agreed to fight to. And now I'm thinking to myself, as these guys are moving up, you know, like it's you look at Stephen Miocic. He's bitter. He is bitter that mm-hmm. Overeem got paid a lot more than he did uh, for this fight here. The UFC says the UFC made all kinds of excuses. And part of me is like, dude, you signed the contract. But now I'm like, well, you're the champ. So, for example, when I was in the bus uh, heading from um, our hotel uh, in, in Tokyo all the way to the Saitama Super Arena, and just about maybe half an hour before that, the, the news came out that Ronda Rousey was getting paid $3 million. Okay, And Amanda Nunes was getting paid you know, $17.12. Okay. <laughs> People were livid. People were livid. And I was just sitting there minding my own business. Because uh, for those, anyone that's ever been around me, it doesn't matter where I go. I'm, I'm, I do a lot less talking than I do. Um, I listen a lot more than I talk. Okay? Uh, unless I'm on the podcast, obviously. But I, I happen to be more of a listener than a talker in public. People think I'm this gregarious personality. I'm not. I just chill. I'm, and I'm listening, and I'm like, you guys all know that Amanda Nunes, A, signed the contract to get paid that amount of money. Uh, B, they're two different fighters. They're not negotiating. The UFC is not negotiating for this fight. They're negotiating fighters differently. And at different points in their contracts, they will meet in a main event or a co-main event. And I thought to myself, well, isn't if there's a clause where you could renegotiate, should you become a co-main yes. event or a main event fighter, then yes. And for a title, whether it's interim or undisputed. And pay-per-view points. Look at look at what Conor McGregor did when he fought Eddie Alvarez. He, as part of the lead-up to that fight, ripped Eddie Alvarez, saying, "Look at this clown! He didn't even renegotiate to fight me on this card. Here, he's getting paid the same amount of money." And Eddie was just kind of like, "Boom!" Deer in the headlights, like, "Oh my god!" He I'm okay with the this. money, and the crowd booed him. Yeah. Uh, they- a video game should not get this better than the UFC does. I play – well, I used to. I don't get to play it as much. I work every day. But there's a game called World of Mixed Martial Arts 4. It's made by a guy named Adam Ryland, Grey Dog Software. It's a 
like a text-based simulator. And when you negotiate contracts with your fighters, there are scales. And it's like, here's your win bonus. And then it's got like percentage. Main event fight adds 50%. Title fight adds 50%. Title defense adds 50%. Pay-per-view adds a certain percent. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Hey, if you're in the main event, you get this. What's this game called? Plus, World of Mixed Martial Arts 4. It's fantastic. This game helped me scout Chris Weidman before I knew who he was. How so? It predicted that he was going to beat Anderson Silva twice in a row. Two years before it happened. Come on. It did not. I swear. He, uh, th- they make mods for the games. People add the stats and stuff. And you progress. And he ended up challenging Anderson Silva for the title in this game that I had simulated. And he beat him twice in a row. Wow. Beat him twice in a row. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, Chris Weiber now is fighting uh, Gigard Musasi, and Musasi is going into New York State to take him on at UFC uh, 210 in Buffalo. I believe that is the first boat that is announced. Um, I don't like Chris You think Weidman. it'll actually happen? As in uh, Weidman actually showing up to the fight? Yes. I hate you, Sean Rossap, because I never thought of that. That's a very, very good point. Very, very Hell good point. Um, I'm going to say yes. And even if Weidman is somewhat injured, which most guys and girls are when they show up to fight, there is some injuries or nagging injuries. Uh, this is an opportunity for him uh, to remain relevant in this division as the former champ, and he's got to get back up there. I mean, this guy's taken two beatings back-to-back, Luke Rockhold being one, uh, and then um, Uel the second time. So he's going to have to do something to remain relevant. He can't let guys like Gengard Musasi, who – you know, people were like, this guy's got no business being there. He disappears, comes back, disappears, comes back. And now he's inching his way up there. Uh, he can't afford to let Gegard, Gegard Musasi uh, bypass him in the UFC's eyes. So I think he, he'll figure something, some way to show up there. But, you know, call it the Sean Ross Sap theory. Maybe not. We'll see. He's pulled out of like three or four fights in the last couple of years. Yeah, about three or four fights in the past two and a half years. So they're just guys that... <laughs> And even even when it's not his fault, I think Belfort pulled out at one point too. Uh, I can't remember, but guys like Daniel Cormier, they just can't get in the cage. It's it's unfortunate. Belfort's fighting a- in Brazil versus uh, Gastelum. Yeah. Do do we need to talk about this, Sean? Yeah, I like that fight. I like that fight too, except it's in Brazil. I think Gastelum, unless it goes to a, to a decision, he'll win. I don't like this fight being in Brazil for Vitor Belfort's sake. I, I don't want to explain why. I think you know where I'm going with this. but Because of a needle up the ass or because of uh, the judges being blind? Can you give oh. me a C? We'll talk about Matt Bevan in, in a bit. I want to Ooh. shoot on him a little bit. But Belfort turns 40 this year. I remember when he was 19 in the UFC. Carlson Gracie with the gi on, refusing to come out of the uh, trailer when he was fighting Randy Couture. I remember what he did to John Hess, bouncing his skull off the mat oh. in, at, in Hawaii. I remember Vitor Belfort. The baddest man on the planet, John Hess. Yeah, the IPOC champion of the world? or SAFTA, the master of SAFTA. SAFTA was awesome. <laughs> Do you remember those <laughs> cheesy trailers that they did where he like – Tossed him down by his wrist and then, like, would do palm strikes. And he had this angry look on his face like, yeah, showed you. <laughs> oh, they were terrible. Safta, ninjutsu, all kinds of crazy stuff back in the day. Loved it. But, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, can I call him your boy, Matt Bevan? Or are you just just going to lose your mind right now? I didn't vote for Matt Bevan. I didn't. Uh, and I'm more thrilled with each day that I didn't. He had made some changes that I thought – like I've been working on a Kentucky Boxing Wrestling Commission article for about two months now. And it's tied in with the fact that they still regulate pro wrestling, which is weird. And when I asked them – this is the quote they gave me. Pro wrestling is a sport just like boxing and MMA. That is not the quote they gave you. That is – I swear to God it's the quote they gave me. That's what they gave me. They said that shit. They said that to me, knowing that it was going to be published. That, they knew it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now, they, they've made some positive changes for amateur MMA. Advanced blood testing, uh, 
advanced physicals. The only one I don't like is that you have to have a coroner's license at least two weeks before cornering somebody. That isn't always practical, Joe, because as you know, especially in the amateur circuit, sometimes whoever you can get to come with you is who you got cornering you. Like sometimes people just don't know two weeks ahead of time. Correct. Yeah. That I don't like. If they if they have a coroner's license already, then whatever. Then Matt Bevan goes on Twitter. Matt Bevan is the governor of Kentucky. And he says, the UFC needs to fix these rigged scorecards. And I'm like, this is the guy. This is the guy who appoints commissioners to the athletic commission. He is accusing governmental conspiracy here. These judges are paid by the state, correct? Correct. He didn't reply. I offered genuinely. I said, here's my contact information. If you would like me to educate you on the matter, I would be more than happy to. Please don't say this in public again. For the sake of my state, please don't say this again. Needless to say, my Kentucky Boxing and Wrestling Commission article pushed back a little bit further. Yes. Well, that makes sense now. Yeah. Because I got a lot more stuff to talk about. Mm. That's that's disheartening, Joe, because – People, this ties in with the Meryl Streep thing. People don't know what they're talking about, and they talk about it. And there are people like, well, what's it matter? What's it matter? We should be happy that Meryl Streep's even bringing up the UFC. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't be happy. Should we have been happy when John McCain spoke about it and called it human cockfighting, which is redundant, by the way. It's just (laughs) human fighting. We're not bringing, we're not dressing up as chickens. And fighting each other. Uh, But should we have been honored that someone of John McCain's stature would even bring it up? Because any publicity is good publicity, right? Hell no, it's not. I hate that that line of thinking. And I got that from the Matt Bevan thing, too. People were like, well, the governor's talking about it. Like, governors have been talking about MMA for a long damn time. And it's rarely been good outside of New York. It's upsetting to me, Joe. Well, it is, yeah. Well, I don't blame you. I mean, it's it's happening in your own backyard. It's no different than what I've gone through here for upteen amount of years. The very first time I contacted the Ontario Athletic Commission was 1996. Uh, I think it was my I, – I was closing in on my first year of, of, of doing jiu-jitsu, and I had gone to a new school, and I was at the school for three months, and I basically had an eye-opening experience with my instructor uh, and some of the classmates and rolling and stuff like that where I was I was training at – a shoot wrestling school <laughs> and I transferred over to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school and my eyes opened up as to how much stuff that I could, I, I learned in the first week as opposed to nine months uh, at the other location. Um, and that's what I started talking about. You know, listen, I, I, I want to fight. And they're like, you can't fight here. I'm like, what do you mean you can't fight here? We just, I want to I fight. Let's just put together a card and we'll figure something up. No, you can't. It's illegal. It's, it's not. And then I started no. learning about mixed martial arts and learning about sanctioning and regulating and blah, blah, blah. And that's when I really got into the sport big time. 1996, first time I contacted the Ontario Athletic Commission. And I was t- I was talking to them and the various ministries to get amateur mixed martial arts um, you know, regulated and, and, and sanctioned and, and, and just overseen to become part of the sporting entity of Ontario. Uh, and it was years and years and years and decades of trying to get stuff done here and you know for every time i would take one step forward sean we're, we're, we're making progress something some bureaucrat would basically push me back five steps and then i'd have a team and we would make forward progress and then the bureaucrats the, the government the officials would push us back once again and you're just constantly going through jumping through hoops and stuff like that and eventually the ufc came calling the ufc comes in put some money together gets the lobbyists in, in, involved bang the sports regulated Bang, the sports sanction. And I thought to myself, oh, is this how this works now? Okay. Got it. Noted. It's, it's disheartening is the best, best word I can use for something like that. Yeah, it's just government. There's layers and layers and layers the way they work. But again, like you said, people that don't know what they're talking about, please just don't talk about it. You know, if, if you came to me and start talking to me about, hey, Joe, what's your handicap in golf and how do you do this and how do you improve? Listen, I love golf, but I'm not going to give any advice on how to swing an iron, right, or how to swing a club or where to yeah. position the ball. That's not my thing. You know, don't come and ask me about darts, okay? Yeah, darts could be – or poker. You know, what do you do if you're, if you're sitting next to the big blind? I don't know. Your card's good. 
No, fluff them or, or sorry, or, or toss them in. Right. So I don't know. Don't talk about it. That, hey, that's how I avoid. I try to avoid looking like a dumbass as much as possible. If I don't know something, I'll ask somebody who do who does know. There are a lot of people that like seem to look down on journalists, especially what you're asking somebody a question. You're asking, we don't know everything, and I hate those that pretend like they do and act in a sarcastic manner. Like, hey, sometimes you just gotta ask questions. Ask questions, guys. And I'm gonna ask you my final question. Amanda Nunez wants to also fight the winner of Holly Holm and your girl. <laughs> uh, I was like, no, no, no. I don't want her to fight the winner because now you're going to have a two-time champ in a division that has nine people competing in, in two organizations that have 145-pound titles. But your thoughts on Amanda wanting to do this? I am shocked that in 2017, a current champion would want to fight the winner of a fight between a woman who is barely top 10 in her division and another woman who is coming off of two losses. I'm getting a title shot. I'm just so, so, so shocked. Meanwhile, you got Daniel Cormier, who was a legit heavyweight. John Jones, who people have begged to go to heavyweight. When's the last time they called out the heavyweight champion? It's been a very long time. You're right. Like never. Demetrius Johnson, despite being a flyweight champion, was a legit bantamweight with his skill before he even trained full-time. When's the last time he said, give me that bantamweight champion? I respect those people for that. Michael Bisping, Tyron Woodley, (laughs) Jose Aldo doing what he's – he got knocked out in 12 seconds last like a year ago. Uh, Amanda Nunez, come on. you got people to fight, hopefully. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand it. Conor McGregor, hey, that's, that's a little bit different. L- special circumstances because people are like, well, why does he get treated special? Because he is special. That's why. When you sell a million and a half pay-per-views on like a week's notice against an opponent, you're special. Yeah, Sorry. you are. <laughs> hate to break it to you. Special. But uh, just fight the contender. Just fight. Now, hey, if Shevchenko wins, maybe I understand that a little bit because she beat Shevchenko, what, last year? Uh-huh. So, I, sure. But there are other people to fight. All right, before we let you go, uh, what else is going on in the world of Sean Ross Because you got about another 14 podcasts to do this week. What is it? Me and Matt Riddle had a fun conversation today. Register for early access to that. And Shane Helms' show. We're talking backstage fights. I'm talking like Goldberg versus Jericho. Shane Helms versus Bagwell. Ric Flair smacking Eric Bischoff around. uh, Booker T and Batista. Joey Styles, former announcer, blasting JBL in the face. Um, Lots of fun uh, stuff there. We've got so many Royal Rumble features. Some of you may just be MMA fans, but if you want to check out some cool Royal Rumble features, it's the kind of match that transcends wrestling. We've got more than anybody, period. So, And, of course, all the great stuff from Joe, uh, Sean Pearson, Elias Theodoru. We've got all your coverage of MMA, pro wrestling, boxing events. Carlos Toro did great work at the DeGale Jack fight at the Barclays Center. He was there live last week, got some exclusives. Fightful.com should be your one and only destination because we got it all, my friends. Absolutely. Make sure you guys check out FightfulMMA.com as well for all of the stuff that we do. Uh, There's so much stuff going on uh, on on all these sites, but Fightful.com, the mothership, uh, it's just – it's. There's just I, even I can't keep up, and it's my job. It's so fantastic. But uh, on behalf of Sean Rossap, make sure you do follow him on social media uh, at Sean Rossap. Yours truly at Showdown Joe. We want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, tomorrow. Uh, it could potentially be a mystery time and a mystery guest. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what is happening uh, with yours truly uh, and my schedule for tomorrow. But like I always say, as soon as I know. I will let you all know. Make sure you do follow me on social media at Showdown Joe. I will tweet it. I'll slap it up on my Facebook. I might put together a picture for my Instagram. I'm not sure. But other than that, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And make sure you you do check out Sean Rossap's uh, podcast because uh, I'll be tuning in. I want to know more about that stuff that happens backstage. Thank you, everybody. Ciao for now.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.